I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. said a few weeks ago that there is a lot of credit given and taken by individuals for successes in ministry. Credit given to that dynamic preacher for the decisions made for the Lord and for individuals in the church growing in godliness. Credit given to that skilled administrator for the quality of programs and growth of the church body. Credit given to that popular woman's director for the fruitful women's studies. Credit given to the youth leader for the dynamic youth group, children's pastor for the innovative children's ministry. While God blesses certain individuals and uniquely gifts ministers in mighty ways, we have said that it is God who is to be praised for the growth of His church and for the fruit that comes from His ministry. He is to be praised for the successes and for the victories that come in our lives individually and in the life of his church. God knows for many of us, if given the slightest chance of taking credit, we will. Many have done this when it comes to salvation. Many have done this when it comes to our growth in godliness. They forget about the fact that Paul says in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. They forget that Paul says in Philippians 2, while he tells us to work out our salvation, he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. Timothy Keller, in his commentary on Judges, says this. Look at this quote on the screen. Human nature is such that if there is the tiniest opportunity to boast in our own work, we will. God says that any such boasting is against me. As soon as we begin to believe that we deserve credit for rescuing or delivering ourselves, we take away glory from God that He deserves. We set up ourselves as alternative saviors. This is the greatest spiritual danger there is, that we should believe that we can save or have saved ourselves. The lesson we always need to learn is that salvation is by God's gracious action, not by earning it with our actions. And because God knows 
If given the tiniest opportunity to boast in our own works, we will. He at times graciously works in such a way that we are left with no choice but to give credit to him. I'm thankful when he does that, aren't you? I know that personally in my own life, in my salvation story. I know that in the story of this church. When celebrating 30 years as a church, Jim Wilson told the story of how the church was started. And he explained that if you were developing a, a strategy for planning a church, you would not do any of the things we did. Yet here we are. 30 plus years later, and God deserves all the credit for how we began and how we have come to be. God has worked in this way with our leadership and in the decisions we have made over the years. At times, it seems as if we got a great plan in place and we got the leaders to make it happen. Our ducks in a row and unforeseen situations will occur that will just completely blow our ducks out of the water. God will then work in unlikely and unanticipated ways that we would have never considered to move us forward as a church. This happens all the time. This is what happens with Gideon and the army that is assembled to fight the Midianites. This is what happens with the deliverance of God's people Israel in our story today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 7. We're going to study this story and we're going to learn one of our greatest strengths spiritually is weakness. Do you know that? One of your greatest strengths spiritually is weakness. We're going to learn why to go up, we must first be brought down. I've said before that God is in the habit of, in the business of putting us in pits too big for us to dig out of so that we'll see our need of him for rescue and give glory to him when he delivers us. That's the lesson from Judges 7. In this story, we're going to see God work in such a way. Before we read this story, let me take a moment to remind you of where we are in the story. We're in the period of the Judges, one of the darkest periods in God's people's history. By the end of this story, we're going to learn that rock bottom has a basement. You with me? It gets bad. In Judges 6, we learn that after 40 years of rest, God's people Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. The Midianites were, were one of the worst enemies of, of Israel during this period of the Judges. They move in. Their interest is agricultural. They seize all their crops and their livestock, and they send them running for the hills. They leave the Israelites homeless and hungry and humiliated. So the Israelites cry out to God, and God sends them a prophet to remind them of the history of God's work in saving them and about how they've rebelled against him. And he then raises up another judge to save them. And while Othniel and Ehud and Barak were skilled militarily, the one God calls on to save his people from Midian is not. His name is Gideon. We, we said last time that he was a nobody from nowhere. When God finds him, he's hiding, beating out wheat in the wine press, a place you didn't normally beat out wheat, but he was scared of the Midianites. 
He did not have the authority in his home, much less with this clan, much less with this tribe, much less with God's people. Yet the Lord assures him in Judges 6.16, I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. The Lord lets Gideon know that he is going to show his strength through Gideon's weakness and is going to use him to deliver his people. Well, after a, a reluctant start of questioning God and putting him through a series of tests, Gideon finally obeys, yet he does so with great caution. God calls for Gideon to start his ministry at home by tearing down his father's altar to Baal and the Asherah beside it. So Gideon obeys, but he does so in the dark of night so that nobody sees him. When he's found out, he's protected by God through his father from his own people who want to kill him for destroying their idols. Don't mess with people's idols. At the end of chapter 6, we also have God keeping his word, graciously assembling a great army under the leadership of this reluctant judge. In our chapter for today, we will learn how God makes changes to this army and uses them in such a way to remove any question as to who is responsible for saving Israel. We're going to learn in our story today that salvation is the Lord's work, period, end of subject, right? Salvation is the Lord's work. Notice how God reveals this truth to us in this story. First thing he does is this. He rejects those who trust in themselves and boast in their own strength. God rejects those who trust in themselves and boast in their own strength. Look at verse 1. Then Jerubbaal, that's Gideon. Stop there for a minute. That's Gideon right there. Jerubbaal, that's Gideon's new nickname. You know what that name means? Baal crusher. Remember, he, he smashed the altar of Baal, and Baal did not retaliate, which is all, not all that impressive, because an idol isn't anything anyway, right? But this act earned Gideon the nickname Baal Crusher. And that great respect that he gets is going to eventually go to his head. We'll get there next week. We're talking about Gideon's high point this week. But God used that to gather this army under Gideon, but God is not going to allow Gideon to receive the glory for delivering his people from the hand of Midian. That is all his. Let's keep reading. Verse 1, Then Jerubbaal, Gideon, and all the people who were with them rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. The army of Israel was 32,000, still a small army to fight the Midianites, but according to God, it's too large to go to war with them. The Lord knew that even though it would be him who would deliver the Midianites into their hand, he knew they had too many. They would take credit for the victory with 32,000, so he decided to weed some of them out to remove all doubt 
as to who is bringing the victory here. In verse 3, he called for Gideon to send away those who were fearful and trembling. Now, you would think that would be a large number, right? Because the Midianite army was big and ferocious, so there were probably, probably a lot who were fearful, and we learned that there were 22,000 of them left. It's significant that the ones who were fearful and trembling were the ones who were sent away. These individuals were not looking to God's ability to save them, but their inability to save themselves. Fear and trembling is a sign of disbelief and doubt. It's a sign these men were not looking to and trusting in God to save them, but their own strength to save Israel. The Lord rejects those who trust in their own strength for salvation. He wants us, as Jesse led us this morning in the song, he wants us to come to the end of ourselves and look to him and thirst for him and drink from his well, right? God wanted his people, Israel, to see that it was by his power alone that they would be rescued, and he wants us to see it as well. How much credit do you take for where you are spiritually versus how much do you give to God? Great question to ask yourself this morning. Do you struggle with pride spiritually? Do you realize that apart from God's grace, you got nothing to be proud of? Do you realize that at your best, on your best day, you can just say what Paul said, by God's grace I am what I am. Do you realize on your best day spiritually, you're only doing what God created you to do, and we're all underperforming when it comes to obedience? Do you realize on your best day spiritually, you're in complete need of the grace of God? Do you realize it's beneficial for you to, to think in this way? For you to come to that realization and admit that? You're going to be challenged this week in your study guide to pray that God work in such a way in your life to grow you in godliness, use you in ministry so he receive all the glory for it. That he continually remind you of your, your desperate need of him. You're going to be encouraged to add that as a regular request in your time alone with God. Point number two, not only does God reject those who trust in themselves and boast in their own strength, but God humbles his own in order to protect them from pride and save them by his grace. Look at verses 4 through 8 of Judges 7. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Really? Wow. That's probably what Gideon said. I'm, I'm including that there. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, so set them apart. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water, and they're excluded. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you, and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. 
So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men in the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So after God takes this army of 32,000 down to 10,000, he then removes even more. When the men went to the water to drink, the Lord told Gideon, now it's confusing here, some commentators, it's, it's confusing in the wording, did he remove those who laughed like a dog, or did he remove those who, who crouched down and drank with their hands? Commentators are, have different views on this because it's not as clear in the writing, but I take the position that it's those who laugh like a dog, okay? That's, that's who we have here. They're, they're both laying down and using their hands, but one's laying down on the ground and they're, they're lapping water like a dog. One reason I believe uh, that, that that's the crew that stays is because that's a very unusual way to drink. How many of you go and lay on, on your stomach and lick water out of a, uh, you probably don't do that at all, okay? But it's a very unusual way to drink, and I think that's why it was narrowed by so many. Naturally, most people would, would crouch down and drink with water. Some people say uh, the Lord is setting aside the courageous and those who are alert. That's why it's those who crouch down in that way. But I, I, we're not given those uh, explanations here. All the Lord is trying to do here is he's trying to narrow this army way, way down. Okay? So what you need to know here is that after this, they're left with 300. 300! This would be the number who would be used to save Israel. Now, 32,000, we said, while small, God's people would have still been tempted to praise themselves and glory in their own strength. With 10,000, they would all the more, right? With 300, these men knew God would have to fight for them, for them to have a hope in the world. God got them to the place. He humbled them to such an extent when victorious, they would have no other option but to praise God for their victory. This is the way he has worked in salvation, believers. God requires perfection for salvation. None of us are anywhere close. We learn in the New City Catechism, look at these quotes up on the screen. We have this book in our bookstore. You ought to pick it up. Because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation has fallen. We are all born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature and unable to keep God's law. Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. God tells us in Romans 3.10 and 3.23, none righteous, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God also tells us the payment for our sin is death physically and spiritually. This is a seemingly hopeless situation that we're in. Our only chance of rescue is if God intervenes in some way. You want to know why the gospel's good news? Because he does. Praise be to God, he has. While the payment for our sin is death, Paul tells us the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only rescue from God is God, and God has provided the way of rescue through his son, Jesus Christ. 
We were in a lost, helpless, and hopeless state, and God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us believers. We have now been justified by the blood of Jesus. Much more shall we be saved by Christ from the wrath of God. Romans 5, 8, and 9. Hallelujah for those verses. God is, has humbled us by bringing us to the end of ourselves and to this realization that we are lost and helpless and hopeless and in desperate need so that we will forsake our ways and forsake our sin and place our faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation and then, looking back, give God all the glory for it. And I pray God bring you to more of a realization of this this morning. I pray if you have not, you would come to this realization that you're lost, helpless, hopeless without Jesus, unable to save yourself from the wrath of God to come. I pray you would forsake your way and flee from a life of sin and fall at the feet of Jesus today and be saved if you have not. I pray God would humble you today in order to save you if you've not responded to this message. That's what he did to his people Israel in Judges 7. He humbled them to such an extent that they were in desperate need of his power to fight the Midianites. He cut this army down to such a small number that Gideon and all of Israel would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was God's strength that saved them. That's where God wants us. He would also assure them of victory so that they would trust in his promises rather than be concerned about their problems. That's the next point. Look at it. God calls for us to trust in his promises rather than concern ourselves with problems. Boy, this is great news for us today. When our times get tough and our days get dark, trust in God. Trust in his promises. Look at verse 9. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. How many times have you got to tell Gideon that? You. He's got to tell us a lot. Verse 10. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. He said, if you're afraid to go alone, you can take a buddy. What do you think Gideon's going to do? He's going <laughs> to, oh, I don't have much faith in Gideon, do you? Or you've read ahead. Let's see. Let's see. Verse 11. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant. Gideon's a weak and fearful judge, isn't he? To the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp, verse 12, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, lots of warriors in these armies. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. This is more than 32,000. No wonder Gideon and, and his army, there, there were many that were afraid. Verse 13. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. So, so he is, he is uh, he's infiltrated the camp, right? He's... Uh, what, what do you call it? Undercover. He's working undercover here. Yeah, recon. There you go. 
Behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. God graciously gives Gideon a gift here. I want you to see it. He gives him a promise of victory through the dream of his enemy. The Lord, knowing Gideon was afraid, sent him into the Midianite camp to listen to what they were saying, and he overhears this man sharing a dream with another soldier who interpreted the dream back to him. The dream is of a cake of barley. Now, context helps us here. Barley was the food of poor farmers in Israel. This is representative of Gideon and his poor army of 300, okay? They're the barley cake. Spoke of their weakness. Spoke of their humiliation. This stale hard cake was round so it could, it could roll like a wheel. And in this dream, we're told it rolled right in to the Midian camp at night and leveled the tent, turning it upside down and flattening it to the ground. The other soldier who heard this gave this interpretation of the dream. Verse 14. And his comrade answered, This is no other uh, no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. God gives Gideon a gift here. Through this dream, from his enemy, he gives him a promise of victory. And this promise calms Gideon's fears and gives him the confidence that he needs to lead this small army into battle against this mighty army, the Midianites. At times, to give his people courage in the present, get this, God gives us glimpses of the future. He does, doesn't he? Folks, future victory is what makes present problems more bearable. Can I say that again? Future victory makes present problems more bearable. Has God given us future promises? You better believe it. We sing about it all the time, don't we? We come in here and proclaim victory no matter what's going on out there in our personal lives. He has promised us new and abundant life, life eternal through faith in Christ alone. He promises us future glory, right? We have said before, future glory should be what motivates us to faithfully persevere in this broken and fallen world in which we live. It's the hope of glory that provides us with strength we need to stand strong in the present. It is the promise of eternity spent with God and His people in perfect relationship with them, with Him, amongst them, that gives us the power to endure. It's a future existence of absolute joy with the complete absence of sorrow and pain and death that provides us with the motivation we need today to endure no matter what problems we face in this life. That's what Gideon needed, and that's what we need today. That should be our motivation for the lives that we live for God and His glory. The victory God gives us is because of His grace and it should make us humble, get this, yet confident. See how God works? Needy, yet obedient to Him. That's Gideon's 
response. He and his people deserve God's judgment. They deserve to be crushed by the armies of Midian for their wickedness. God instead graciously promises them victory. And he works in such a way to clearly show that he is the one bringing the victory so that they will respond in the only way they, that's appropriate to respond, and that is in worship. That's the last point. God wants us to worship Him, trust in Him, and faithfully serve Him in response to Him saving us. We've talked about this before. When God promises salvation and when He delivers on that promise, the only appropriate response is to worship Him like crazy. That's how Gideon responds to this promise of salvation. Look at verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. Amen. This is the right response. This here, and in the verses to follow, these are some of Gideon's best moments, okay? He worships God for His grace that He has shown His people. He worships Him for this, for this promise of victory. When's the last time you took time to rejoice in the salvation that God has accomplished for you through Jesus? When's the last time you took time to do that? Believers, do you realize that we do not deserve to be Christ's disciples? We do not deserve to be called His children. None of us do. If God were fair to us, we would all be condemned. Praise be to God, He doesn't treat us in accordance with fairness, but in accordance with grace. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Believers, have you taken time to praise God lately for His amazing grace? When's the last time you took time to do that? Take time today to rejoice in God's unmerited and undeserved favor that's been shown you. Praise God for the salvation that He promised, for His saving work that He accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ. Gideon worships the Lord for the salvation He has promised even before God accomplishes it. That's faith, right? He was given the promise, he believed that promise, and continued on in obedience. That's faith. That's the reason Gideon gets a mention in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. We're told of Gideon. Gideon, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, was made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. He believed God. He trusted in his promise of victory and obediently carried out his will, leading his small, weak army to defeat the mighty Midianites. Look at verse 15. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Here we finally see Gideon exercising faith worthy of the Lord, don't we? He uses the words of the Lord here. He tells his men, arise, the Lord has given Midian into your hand. These words should take us back 
to Judges 6.16 when he's being commissioned by the Lord. Remember the Lord says, You're a mighty man of valor. I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Gideon had a tough time believing those words at first, but now he is convinced of them. He calls for his men to rise up and take Midian because the Lord has given them into your hands. How will he bring Victory against an army as fierce as lions and as numerous as locusts. Let's look at it in a very unlikely way. In accordance with the vision that was given to this Midianite soldier in such a way that only God will receive the glory for it. That's how he's going to defeat these Midianites. Look at it. Look at verse 16. We're told, and he, Gideon, divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them. Yes, I said trumpets, not swords. And empty jars, not shields, with torches inside the jars. Verse 17, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. So, so I read here there were usually three watches during the night and they each lasted for four hours. And they would divide the army up into thirds, okay? So this is taking place after the first third finished their four-hour watch and they went back to the tents and they'd wake up the, the, the next third and, and they were to take watch in the middle of the night. It would have been complete darkness. And that's when Gideon and his army, in between these watches, they set up around the camp. They're in place. Let's keep reading verse 19. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. Can you imagine the noise? You could probably hear a pin drop. Darkness of night, middle of the night, and all of a sudden... That silence is broke with the smashing of hundreds of jars and the blasts of all of these trumpets. And they, they, they held in their left hand the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 21, every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. That's the Lord fighting for his people here. And the army fled as far as Bathsheba towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barar and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barar and also the Jordan. 
And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb, and they pursued Midian. And they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. So after blowing 300 trumpets, imagine again what that sounded like. One's loud enough. The smashing of the clay pots, the Lord confused the armies of the Midianites to such an extent that they turned their swords toward one another and they began killing each other and the armies of Midian then took off. Gideon sent messengers to the rest of Israel who joined the 300 chased these Midianites down and defeated them as they ran. Remember first, the Midianites sent them running from the hills. Now who's doing the running? God saved Israel on that day. God's people deserve to be crushed by their enemies for their sin. Instead, God, because He is rich in mercy and grace and love, crushed their enemies and saved them. He saved Israel with only 300 men, so that they would clearly see that their salvation was brought about by God's grace and not by their own efforts. Again, folks, same is true of the work that God has accomplished for us in Christ. We deserve death because of our sin. Instead, God the Father, through the death of His Son, gives us life in Christ by His grace alone, through our faith alone in His Son alone we don't deserve to be forgiven we don't deserve to be restored to god we cannot possibly earn the salvation he gives it is given by his grace and it's made available to you today if you would turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in christ alone for your salvation i pray if you have not you would do that today you would come to the end of yourself you would forsake your sin and turn from your way and in faith look to Christ trust in Christ believe on him alone for your salvation and be saved today I pray you would if you have not let's pray together